Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Welcome, everybody. I am James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University, and welcome to The Connector. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into the areas we focused on leading up to the 2023 Emerging Issues Forum, Talent First Economics. We're going to be bringing leaders from across the state, regions, and perspectives together to know how we can better engage North Carolina's workforce by putting the needs of our talent, the workers themselves, first. The forum will be February 13th at the McKinnon Center on North Carolina State Campus. For more information and to register, please visit emergingissues.org slash talent. We have two guests today that I am eager to learn more on this topic from. Please welcome Sarah Langer-Hall, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, who we've had on in the past, and I'm going to let her introduce our second guest and start the conversation. James, thanks so much for having me here today. It's always a pleasure to be on your podcast. Um, I am so excited about our upcoming Emerging Issues Forum. Again, focused on removing barriers to those who face challenges uh, to getting those good jobs or connecting and engaging in the workforce, as well as thinking about how we must transform our workforce system if we're going to be competitive in the future. Um, So as part of that, what we really knew was a critical component was to understand the current landscape of the workers that are facing challenges uh, at a more granular level, uh, their employability, and also to sort of understand the best practices or bright spots that are taking place across uh, North Carolina. So we were really thrilled when the U.S. Economic Development Administration gave us a grant. And as part of that grant, we were able to do a workforce analysis And I'm super excited that we have NC State junior and Caldwell fellow, Brody Smith, who's been interning with us since the summer and has been doing a lot of this research. Brody, you are a double major at NC State and are involved in a lot of things. So uh, first, why don't we just have you introduce yourself to the audience? So yeah, just like Sarah said, I am a junior at NC State and a Caldwell fellow. I'm a double major in political science and science, technology, and society Um, at the university. I'm an ambassador for the Alumni Association Student Ambassador Program, and I'm also a facilitator for the Campus Conversations Project. Um, And I'm excited to be here today and talk to all of y'all about Talent First Economics and the report I've done. Well, thank you so much because your work has been so instrumental in helping us really understand the issues, the challenges, the opportunities, uh, and again, some of those bright spots, uh, programs we might want to consider scaling, policies we might want to consider adopting. And so again, just James, we're both glad to be here to talk about the report that will be coming out. Well, Brody, tell us about the report and the details you found and the groups that you focused on. The five focus groups that the report and the Emerging Issues Forum highlights are the justice-involved individuals, opportunity youth, persons with disabilities or neurodiversity, transitioning military members and their families, and family members with young children. I made sure to dedicate a good deal of time to really focus on each group so that I can attempt to understand how they represented and employed on the federal, state, and local levels. Some groups were easier to research while others were not, but ultimately, All five groups presented a lot of the really interesting information I was able to put into the reports. And just a disclaimer, while the information was really interesting for the most part, 
A lot of it was also really upsetting. I think one of the richest things about living in North Carolina is the community that we have. And it was really disheartening to see how some people in our community have been marginalized in the labor market. Uh, but just to share some of the s snippets of information I was able to find and share in the reports um, on each group. In 2014, only 39% of formerly incarcerated people in North Carolina were able to find employment within a year after release, which was a 23-point decrease since 1998. As of 2019, there were three counties in North Carolina that had a youth disconnection rate greater than 25%, these counties being Hertford County, Northampton, Northampton County, and Halifax County. In 2020, North Carolinians with a disability made only 67 cents for every $1 made by people with no disability. By the end of 2021, the national employment rate for veterans was lower than the unemployment rate for the general population. However, active duty military spouses faced an employment rate of an unemployment rate of 21%, nearly four times that of the general population. And in 2021, 36.2% .2 of single mother households in North Carolina with children under the age of 18 fell below the poverty line. So a lot of interesting data, but a lot of it was also just very upsetting because it shows how these people oftentimes were not accurately and well presented, represented in the labor markets. So we, we, we convened a lot of these groups together, and I did have the opportunity to sit in on some of these task force meetings of kind of the five different areas that you alluded to. And I heard a conclusion that um, there were some areas of cross-connect and that the groups were interested in pulling the resources together. So talk about the five different areas and maybe some of the statistics that surprised you and maybe some of the areas where you thought there could be some cross-connect. So I think a lot of the communities they, while they face different barriers and they have very different needs, a lot of the solutions that could help them get over these barriers were quite similar. I think the most common barrier across each of the five groups were that the systems and resources that were available to them weren't really navigable. Um, they are there for them. There are some, for some groups, like the transitioning military group, there's a sea of goodwill of resources. But while there are a lot of these resources and systems in place, some of them just are not easy for them to navigate when they're making that transition from the military or from the justice system or whether they are trying to get connected back into either schooling or the workforce as an opportunity youth. A lot of these groups has had very similar difficulties that could be solved by similar solutions. So ultimately, there are some policies in place that impact multiple groups, just like the Family and Medical Leave Act. Uh, so it's obvious that there are solutions that can benefit individuals across the different communities and different focus groups, but oftentimes these systems were just not designed in the most navigable ways. Um, and so I think that's just really important in looking at these groups and saying that how can we do work that impacts all of them and benefits all of them rather than just how can I benefit this one community right here. And I'd just like to add to that, um, you know, Brody and I were able to meet with Jonathan Guarine with the Economic Labor, um, the Labor and Economic Analysis Division over at NC Commerce. He's an economist there. He's also done a lot of research, particularly with Opportunity Youth, and we had been following his work, and he was great. Uh, he was a great resource for us, Brody. Um, I know you had the chance to connect with him um, uh, with some of this report as well. So working with Jonathan Guarin from NC Lead was a great experience. He was a really good 
uh, person to be able to show me how to really take the data that I'm extracting from these big convoluted sources and put them in a way that is easily understood for the public. I am by no means a data scientist or data analyst, and so I really appreciate that people like Jonathan were able to take time out of their busy schedules and help me do my work that is able to help produce these reports. So without Jonathan, um, the Opportunity Youth Report and all the other ones definitely would not have been as effective in conveying the information. So one of the things that stood out in the data in preparing the report was the intersection between opportunity youth, disability, and justice involved. What did the statistics reveal about opportunity youth reporting a disability and or opportunity youth coming from a household with parents that were justice involved? And what was your takeaway while doing this work? So one thing that really stood out to me, uh, Measure of America is a great resource if you want to learn more about opportunity youth and their community as a whole. Um, and just one statistic that I found really surprising with the cross-section with opportunity youth and people with disabilities or neurodiversity was that in 2021, opportunity youth were three times more likely to have a disability um, than their how people say connected counterparts. Um, but I think that's just really interesting to look at how one group is more amplified within these other focus groups. So I think when you're doing this type of work and looking at the workforce and how these different groups fare in the labor market, it's vital to have an, a lens of intersectionality and saying, how does this group impact another group? Or how do individuals that maybe expand across multiple groups you can be an opportunity youth that may be transitioned from the military. You may have a young child and you may have justice involvement um, and you may have a disability and or neurodiversity. So I think it's really important to just really engage in these groups with an intersectional lens and mindset to make sure that you're able to impact all of them by working with, say, just a couple of them. With all this work, so what would you have loved to explore further and if, if you had more time? So I'm from Randolph County, North Carolina, um, a very rural community that I come from. And if I had more time, I'd really love to explore how the rural communities and counties in North Carolina fare in the same area. Um, I noticed really quickly that a lot of the counties that had the highest rate of this or the lowest number of that um, were rural areas, and if I had more time, I'd just love to explore how those rural communities fare in the labor market and how labor force participation manifests in different sectors and groups, and especially how our five focus groups that we focus on in the report and in the Emerging Issues Forum are faring out in these rural communities. I think we can see how they are in more urban areas, but I think a lot of times they fly below the radar in rural communities. And so I think if I had more time, I'd really love to just get in and dig at how rural North Carolina is doing in the labor market um, and how we can help um, connecting them to resources and helping them navigate the systems in place. So of all the focus areas, which was the most uh, up-to-date, and data-rich, and what was the area where you just really struggled to uh, do the research and find the data? So the first group that I took the time to study and research and make a report on 
was those individuals with justice involvement. Um, and let me tell you, that group was probably one of the hardest groups to, to research. You would think that um, justice involvement and people in that community uh, would have a lot of data and information presented on them um, to the public. But there's a lot of factors when it comes to the employment data and the population data that aren't easily found and that the resources that are found are not often either reliable or up-to-date. Some of the newest sources I could find were from 2014 when talking about labor force participation uh, for justice involvement. And so it's just really interesting to see how some groups were really easy to find information on, while some, like the justice involved individuals, were not. And some of the groups that were the most data-rich, definitely I would have to say persons with a disability or neurodiversity. I think just how people with disabilities and neurodiversity, how they are often cared for on different aspects of government agencies like the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Labor, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, multiple agencies are covering them, but they also do lack a lot of resources and help in the workforce. So it's just really interesting to see how while some of the people were able to have the most data-rich information and have the most up-to-date information, they still weren't given the same amount of resources and accommodations in the workplace. So I think it's just a double-edged sword of you may be data-rich, but you're still not given the most navigable resources available. Um, and while some people, they may have a few really good resources, but they also just don't have much data available to them. So is there anything that we haven't touched upon or you would like to add? So I talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, I'm by no means a data scientist or a data analysis. Um, so this was a brand new area to me. Um, I've never really even put a lot of energy or thought process into what it means to work with workforce development um, and these communities. So it was a big learning curve for me, but I'm really grateful for this experience because I was able to really develop some skills that I think benefited me a lot professionally and as a person. Um, and I discovered some new passions of mine when it comes to developing the workforce, especially in North Carolina and in these groups. Um, I think that also leads into another part of, I think it's important for students um, to go ahead and start learning about these things and making sure that they're aware of what it means to be in the labor force and then also how you can impact people that are trying to find employment. So I think it's really important that students have an understanding now because we're always told that we are the future of whatever field that we are working in. So I think it's important to know that while we are the future, we need to have these mindsets and this knowledge in place so that we're able to make a more equitable workforce and labor market for the future that we are planning to lead soon. Um, so yeah, I also just, there's a plethora of issues and rabbit holes I wish I could have jumped down and really highlighted in my report. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the Emerging Issues Forum coming up so that I can get to hear from all these people with lived expertise and professional work experience in these fields. Um, and I'm just really grateful to be on this podcast today as well. So thank you for having me, James. Well, I'd like to thank our guest today, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, Sarah Langer-Hall, 
and NC State student Brody Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm James Herrick with the Institute for Emerging Issues, and we can't wait to continue this conversation at the 2023 Emerging Issues Forum, Talent First Economics. That's going to be February 13th at the McKimmon Center on the North Carolina State Campus. For more information and to register, please visit emergingissues.org slash talent. Again, that's emergingissues.org slash talent. Until next time, let us all stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.